Uh, g'day, mate. Well, welcome along to episode 84 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It is good to have you here today. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, two main topics. The first one is uh, about resistance bands versus uh, traditional kind of weight-based strength training. And we're also going to be talking about winter training. Since here in New Zealand, we are deep until the first month of winter and I have already had people struggling a little bit uh, and we're not even past the shortest day yet. So, Nick Taylor, how are you, mate? I am good, thank you. Um, I am potentially suffering from some of those winter blues myself. Uh, we've had about a week of drizzle, cloud, rain, everything is wet um, and we went from everything being really dry, so it's really dry, uh, fast-running trails um, to ride my bike on. Now I had nothing. So I have to switch over to the old gravel cyclocross bike, um, get out the winter jacket and and harden up. Mate, do I have a segment for you today? You just wait till winter training. You're going to be running out of the office to get out there training this afternoon. It's going to be fantastic. Hey, uh, why don't you kick us off on our first little segment today about bands, uh, resistance bands, big stretchy elastic bands, and traditional weight training and some of the interesting stuff you've been doing uh, around that lately. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess to kind of give some background to it all, uh, about six months ago, so the start of this year, I started back into a formalized sort of strength training uh, plan um, at a gym here in Dunedin called Body Synergy. Uh, now, they do things a little bit differently than standard. Uh, but for me, the main focus was to reduce some pain. Um, so I've been getting some serious back and neck pain, uh, mainly due to the amount of hours I spend driving my car for work. Uh, but also, I spend a lot of time on my bike um, as well, which is not a, a natural position. It's not always the most comfortable. Um, and the two of them combined uh, have kind of made me a lot weaker than I had been in the past. So some of my muscle uh, sort of bulk and muscle strength had dropped away through endurance training and hours sitting down, um, and that was contributing to the pain. So I went back to see, see the team um, at Body Synergy, Rowan and Ricky, um, and they were able to sort of put together a, a sort of functional rehab program to start with for me, um, and since then I've been progressing back to doing some more traditional uh, kind of weight strength lifting um, exercises and some sort of core um, and some circuit training too that they do down there. Uh, so when I say they do things a little bit differently, uh, Rowan Ellis is the, the founder of a, a program called Dr. or Mr. EMG, say Mr. EMG, and that is a, an EMG machine, which is electromyography, um, which is always a tricky word to get out of the mouth, uh, and that is all around uh, placing electrodes on the body to measure muscle activation. So when we contract a muscle, that sends an electrical current to the muscle, um, depending on how strong we have asked the muscle to work, uh, and that records a signal uh, which we can pick up through this EMG machine. So therefore you can throw one on your bicep, you can do a bicep curl, and hey presto, ideally the bicep muscle is, is firing um, an electrical signal through that action. Now the reason they, they use utilise this machine down there, and they've been working on that for probably 15 years or so now, is with pain um, and muscle sort of or strength training, it can be quite easy to train the wrong muscles. Um, so, for example, if you're doing a bicep curl and your shoulders are up around your neck, um, trying to lift more weight, then you're really going to be putting a lot of stress through your traps um, and less of that through your bicep when you actually want to be working your bicep. 
Um, and traps tend to be one of the biggest ones that people are overactivating, uh, whether it be sitting here right now, sort of hunching up at the mm-hmm. desk um, in the car. For me, if it was a bit, I'd spend a lot of time with my arm on the side of the door, um, and that sort of pulls pulls everything in the in the spine and, and creates some of that pain. So basically. They bring you into the, the gym, they set you up on some of their machines and you just do some basic resistance training exercises with electrodes on your tra- traps, basically trying not to record anything. Um, and it's quite interesting when you're star- staring at a screen, watching these wee lines go up and down, um, that you can actually shut them off. You know, sitting on a stationary bike for me was a big thing. You know, sort of traps would start to pull up. Um, okay, right, how do I work out to, to get them dropped back down, dropping those shoulders, squeezing those elbows in. And... <clears throat> It's been, been life-changing, essentially, for me this year. The pain that I had uh, experienced for the last couple of years is pretty much gone. Um, wow. I still get a wee bit of stiffness and soreness from riding my bike or working out in the gym, but it's that kind of good, like, oh, yeah, it worked, worked quite hard today instead of that. You know, you get out of the car or get out of bed and you need to be putting some heat um, on or taking some painkillers to help get on top of it. So it's been fantastic for me. Yeah, mate, you're getting old, but, shit, you're too young for that. Oh, exactly, yeah. And, uh, and my solution prior to, to go back to the gym was I need a new car for work, I need to stop doing my job and find something else. Um, but that wasn't necessarily a, a viable option straight away. So it was all about how can I get on top of this. Um, and one of the things that I, I had forgotten um, through, through many years ago, I, I did some work with these guys, but the, the concept that a, a strong muscle um, is a, a pain-free muscle, essentially, mm-hmm. and a, a tight muscle is generally a weaker muscle. So we think, oh, I've got tight hamstrings or, or tight glutes, so we go and stretch the crap out of them, and that tends to make them a little bit longer, relieves a little bit of that tension initially, but it doesn't actually start making them stronger and allow them to do their job and stabilise in the body, which is why they're getting sort of tight in the first place. So by doing some structured resistance training, doing exercises that I know are actually working the correct muscles, uh, I think has been fantastic at reducing reducing that pain, getting me strong, uh, and then enabling me to do my biking um, outside of that. Just been cool. Yeah, that's awesome to hear, mate. Uh, I know you've struggled with uh, a few aches and pains uh, in in the past, so that's awesome to hear that you're starting to get on top of them. Tell me, tell us about that stuff uh, you were telling me before around the bands and the EMG stuff you were doing with, uh, with that last week, because that sounded super interesting. Yeah, perfect. So... An exercise that, that some people may have done, you may have seen it on, on YouTube or Instagram, uh, is you're, you're lying, or sitting on the ground with your shoulders on a, on a bench. Uh, you've got a weight bar or a, a, bar, a dumbbell across your hips. And essentially you're squeezing your glutes and driving yourself up to form a nice flat bridge. Um, you might have done it on a Swiss ball or without the bench. Um, but using the bench, we tend to call it a hip thruster um, or a glute bridge or a weighted glute bridge. Um, there's probably about 50 different names for exercises that there tends to be around the world. Yep. Um, but it's a fantastic exercise for glute activation, uh, which is such a fundamental um, muscle that we use, obviously, for walking, cycling, um, and your general day-to-day, let alone sporting activities. Uh, but at the gym, uh, it's one of those exercises where, as I've been getting stronger, I've been able to do more and more weight. Um, so sort of getting up around the 130, 140kg mark with a barbell across your hips is getting quite uncomfortable. Um, and quite tricky mm. to, to actually lift it up and, and get the activation you want. So not specifically because of me, but the gym brought a new piece of equipment recently, uh, which was enabling essentially to get inside of this 
bar or with bands on a bit easier to, to do more of these glute bridges because they're such a fantastic exercise uh, across a whole spectrum of people uh, and not everyone uh, wants to be lifting heavy, heavy weight on their waist. Uh, but essentially we set it up uh, last week and trying to get into it was horrendously hard. So the way it was all structured to once the barbell was across the top, um, I was kind of on my side sort of shoving my legs under, um, trying to lift the bar up a little bit to get underneath it. It was just very impractical once the bar got quite heavy. And it got me talking with, with Ron and Ricky about the the difference maybe using the bands and the bar. Could we simulate the sort of the same 130, 140 kgs with some resistance or power bands? Um, now, I probably should have prefaced all this with a resistance power band sort of conversation as to what they are, but they are a giant mm. rubber band, essentially. Um, probably everyone listening to this podcast has been given a TheraBand at some point by a physiotherapist, which is like a thin kind of piece of uh, stretchy um, elastic. Basically, generally it's open at one end. So, sorry, open at two ends, so it's not a rubber band. A power band or a resistance band in this case is a rubber band, so it's a complete circle, and it's a lot thicker than generally. Mm. And you basically you stretch them out, to, and the resistance increases, 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 um, and then you have to fight the resistance back in. Um, and you can yeah. get a bunch of different different thicknesses for exactly. different amount of resistance. Yep. Yep. Um, and I would love it to be as easy as to tell you what those different resistances are, but as soon as you change brands, generally they change resistance. Mm. Um, so relatively standardised, but not not good enough um, to to go on record and say what one should weigh. But basically. We got the conversation boiled down to using the EMG, we could hook some up to my glutes, so my right and left glute uh, max, um, and my glute med out on the sides, and, and look at the activation between me trying to lift 130 kgs with the barbell, and me using two of the resistance bands uh, that they had there, kind of a medium to heavy um, resistance, and see the activation and, and what were the differences. Uh, so we, we jumped in um, and did a little sort of mini on-the-spot uh, testing session. Um, so we used the bar, barbell, like I said, the power bands, um, and we also used a heavy dumbbell just to see what the difference was, whether the limiting feature was the fact that this barbell gets so heavy across your hips, um, mm. that that's the limiting feature to, to activation. And like I said, EMGs on, on the two glute max, two glute meds, uh, and then measured that over four attempts um, with me trying to go maximally. Uh, a shoot that was based on the assumption that my sort of four rep max was about 130 kgs. So I'd be lifting mm-hmm. maximally with the barbell um, and then trying to replicate that with the bands itself. Now, it's probably not too surprising given the way that this conversation has been going that the bands actually provided a greater muscle recruitment um, on all four of those EMG sites compared to the dumbbell and compared to the barbell. Mm-hmm. So essentially I was lifting... Two, two resistance bands, no heavy weight across my, my waist, really easy to get in and out of, and I was able to generate more muscle activation than I was when I was lifting 130 kgs, which would be my kind of max output. Is that more, uh, more peak muscle activation or more uh, total across time throughout, throughout the movement? What are we talking there? Uh, in this instance, it was peak. So yep. that was, yeah, so the... the uh, but the time was about the same. We tried to keep that as, as standard as we could. Um, mm-hmm. We did do some more testing with a, another one of the gym members uh, after that and looked at a sort of a more slower ramp up um, to a peak. Um, so obviously you're able to accommodate more more time at the peak as well. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly 
both of those, or sort of the, certainly the time at the peak with the barbell would be would be hard to sustain. Um, the, the limiting feature, I think, and we found that with the, the barbell, you get to a certain point where you just can't fully extend the hip. Mm-hmm. If you've got a, a bar sitting in the crease of your hips, um, and then if you were to go to flat, the barbell can roll either way. Yeah. Um, so Sorry, so when, when you say peak, you're meaning the, uh, the peak was higher at the, the, the top part of the movement? Generally speaking, would be at the, the top of the movement, given this movement pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't, well, about, most people can't extend their hips past a certain point um, unless you might be a gymnast. Yep. Yep. yep, absolutely. And interestingly, when we looked at the dumbbell, so the dumbbell only weighed 50 kgs, and the dumbbell activation and the, the barbell activation at 130 kgs was about the same. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that, that real, that last piece of that hip extension uh, was the key component to getting the, the greater muscle activation. Yeah. Uh, which is quite cool to see, um, again, too. So I don't have to try and squeeze myself into this machine um, to load up the bar. I can jump in with the bands um, and perform um, a workout probably better than I was with the barbell and potentially get mm. a greater activation. Um, and the other interesting thing for me around the sort of the safety side of that is... With the barbell, again, at 130 kg, there's always a, an element of, oh, okay, my back's sort of on its limit of what it can hold. Um, if you do fail, you're going to come crashing back down to the ground with this weight on top of you. Uh, and with the bands, it's, it's safe. Uh, you know, you're stretching up. If you need to stop, you just stop, and the bands will sort of sit on your chest. They're not weighing too much um, in an awkward position and placing extra stress mm. on the body. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. And so it got me thinking... Around what what is out there in the research um, in this sort of area? You know, there's not a heap of uh, research with uh, muscle activation, ENG, and different sort of strength modalities and different resistance exercises. But I did stumble across a meta-analysis um, that was looking at essentially this: so the, the elastic resistance or bands versus traditional resistance, um, in this case, sort of weightlifting, and the ENG muscle activation. Um, of those different exercises. So their findings essentially concluded what we did, um, that the, even though there's not a lot of research in this field, um, the resistance bands across a, a raft of different exercises was providing a greater or the same muscle activation as the uh, tra- traditional weightlifting um, mm-hmm. modality for that exercise, which is quite cool. What about to validate your own personal findings with some, some research out there? Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's cool. It's uh, it's it's a, it's it's as a, it's as applied as it gets. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's um, hopefully we can get Rowan on the podcast in the next few weeks uh, to talk mm. about his, his machines because he's just just about to launch them around the place to, to different practitioners uh, because yeah. of that reason. It's it's super hands on. You can work out what's going on right then and then, um, and it has a huge um, application. For, for pain management especially, but also for all different types of um, hands-on therapists, really. Yeah, nice. And I'm just, just thinking, um, and potentially glossed over the fact there a little bit, that when we're, when we're thinking that a muscle is more activated than uh, a less activated muscle, there's more of a stimulus to, to drive strength adaptations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Yeah, and so, so not- if you can, so if you can achieve... Uh, the same or uh, more uh, activation, but with less weight, 
you're you're going to get uh, more strength adaptations, uh, even though you're not lifting the same weight, because the muscles is, is activated, and a lot of the uh, adaptations that come for strength are neuromuscular, meaning that the the nerves are firing more muscle fibers to contract more to to produce more strength. So it's not about was the band the same weight as the weight on your hips, because if the activation is the same, then the the adaptation or the drive, the stimulus to get the strength adaptation is the same. Yep, absolutely, and it, it leads to a good question around. So with the the, the dumbbell essentially being you know, a third of the weight providing the same level of activation as the barbell. Mm. What what what's happening in that rest of that lift that I'm doing at 130 kgs? And there is absolutely other muscles that come into play at a certain point. So you're maximally recruiting yep. your glutes, but you're still lifting a weight. So hamstrings are going, calves are going, quads are going. Uh, you know, you you're straining against the, the back of the uh, the bench. So there's a whole raft of other muscle groups that are that are kicking in and, and doing something. Um, and that sort of, I guess, simply comes down to what's the end goal for your your lift. Um, if you're in there really wanting to isolate your glutes and fire them up for, for sprinting, let's say, then the bands is probably possibly going to be a greater option. If you're looking for mm-hmm. a good whole body conditioning exercise, then maybe the barbells are a good option. Um, and it's sort of this enabling people to, to potentially switch around and use different options for, for loading up their resistance work. Um, I know for me with travelling quite a bit, if I can jump in in the motel unit with a strength band and do a, a workout that I know is going to be this, giving me some decent mm. activation, then that's awesome uh, while I'm away. And then come back and, and use some weights in the gym or combination of weight plus a band or whatever it might be. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's the, the thing is that you're not saying one's better than the other. It's that you can get the similar similar stimulus from, from either or. And... Whether you're traveling or whether you're locked down at home, like multiple people around the world at the moment where we've got these rolling lockdowns in different countries, and if you can get some resistance bands that are, I'm not even going to chuck a number, I'm going to say like quarter of the price of what some uh, weight gear would be, you got yourself a pretty good setup to be able to get, you know, strength adaptations um, uh, at, at home. And, and, and in a super safe, effective manner as well. Yep. And there's a whole raft of different uh, different options for, for strength bands. You know, the TRX systems are, are similar uh, in a mm-hmm. way. Anything that's able to reply, re- apply an elastic force. Um, and I think that's the, the key is when you look at the, the strength profile of doing, let's say, again, a bicep curl with a traditional weight, the, the mm-hmm. force application starts off at the bottom and gets more and more and more to a certain point, and then it tails away as you get closer yep. to the, the shoulder, versus the band starts off a lot lower, and the peak kind of arises at the top, and you've still got that kind mm. of eccentric force pulling you back down for a while. So the, yep. the strength profile still looks similar, just a, applied in, in a sort of slightly different position of the lift as well. Yeah, for sure. And if people aren't too familiar what Nick's talking about there, is that when you when you lift a, a free weight or a dumbbell, and the bicep curl is a good example there, is that we're always lifting against against gravity, and gravity is uh, only goes in one direction, and that and that's down. So depending on the angle of your arm or, or the joint uh, lever at at the time, the the force or the load on the muscle will differ throughout the movement because of its position and in, in space in relation to gravity as well. So the 
I think it's like the, the bottom uh, 15 or 20 degrees of a bicep curl, there's essentially no load because you're not lifting the weight up at that stage. You're moving it away from your body for the first portion of, of a bicep curl. And it's not until it actually starts traveling upwards that the load comes onto your to your muscle. So that, that initial part, what a lot of people will do, and you, if you've ever done bicep curls you probably or seen someone do it, you'll probably see them do it, is they'll get a little bit of momentum in that first little bit, maybe put their hips into it as well to, to swing it through that bottom phase where there's not much load. And then that'll help carry them through the, the phase where it's the most uh, the most load coming on the muscle when your your arms sort of out from your body and then as it gets to the top you've overcome all of that gravity and it's just sitting up there whereas if you've got a resistance band as soon as you start pulling on that band you've got that elastic resistance right from the start so yeah there's a there's definitely a lot to be said for the use of resistance bands mm. i think i mean that example you just gave of the old swing with the bicep curl is, is a classic mm. one you see in the gym isn't it um and it's a great analogy with the bands because as soon as you start swinging you've applied some sort of momental force that's going to be coming up through your lift so there's going to be at some point of there where the weight is still kind of in free fall going up a bit like a mm. a, um, a clean where you're pushing off yep. your hips and the bar is sort of moving and you're trying to duck underneath um, and so you're not actually actually applying full force at that point um, until the bar uh, until the dumbbell sorry stops moving up um, but with mm. the band, you've got no choice. It's it's there. Um, if you swing it, it's going to ping ping you back at some point. Um, yeah, absolutely. So you you put that you put that stretch into you, into the band. It's going to come yeah, back and get you <laughs> exactly. Um, and it, that could end up ugly or just really awkward for you at the same time. So I think uh, certainly for bands, there's some some fantastic options that it can help with with traditional weightlifting. Um, and mm. I see it, you know, possibly not necessarily the the clientele listening to the podcast, but maybe some of the the older um, sort of masters athletes where there is more of a potential from a safety point of view with, with lifting heavier weights that they can still apply this massive um, activation of their muscles without the same um, resistance uh, sort of on their shoulders or their hands or, or whatever it might be. Um, from yeah, I think I think endurance. I think endurance athletes in <clears> general, <throat> though, because. Um, because endurance athletes don't spend a huge amount of time in the gym, mm. then using the the safest option that there is available is a, a really good thing because uh, it would suck to get injured in the gym. You know, that's that's the number one thing that I take into consideration with all the stuff I do in the gym, with all the athletes that I you know, work with, is that the first rule in the gym is do no harm. If you're getting athletes injured in the gym, you're going as you're going backwards, the whole reason you got them into the gym was to make them more, in, you know, resilient to injury so they could do their sport more. And now you've just sent them home injured and they can't do their sport. It's the complete opposite to what you wanted. So having a really safe option in the gym uh, that can't really go too wrong. However, there are some hilarious videos online of resistance bands failing, especially yeah. during lockdown when people were, were attaching them to not so secure anchors and they were yeah. flicking off and pinging them in the face and that sort of thing. Uh, besides all that, pretty safe options compared to um, you know loading up a barbell and putting it on your back or or whatever it might be. Yep, one hundred percent agree. And then I think on the flip side of that, that's people that are new to strength potentially. But then if you've been around strength training for a long time, um, just having a new novel training stimulus uh, can be, 
you know, one of those things that sort of kickstart um, those those new adaptations. If you're if you're not used to something, your body will adapt relatively quickly uh, to it. So if you've never used um, you know, resistance bands before and you've always gone traditional barbell or dumbbell, then having adding some resistance bands into the mix um, can be a really good option as well. Or, or even decreasing your load a little bit on the bar and adding mm. resistance bands uh, in, in sort of in, in combination there. Yep, yep, absolutely. And one of the other things we're going to look at at some point uh, with this EMG in the gym is is kind of the, uh, the warm-up, sorry, for the lift being done with the band. So you're getting that, that good mm-hmm. muscle activation that you wouldn't get from a lower weight when you're, yep. you know, half your weight for your warm-up. Uh, yeah. You don't require the same force, so you don't warm up the same, and then you've got to lift your main one. Like you said, the, the injury rate increases with that. Um, mm-hmm. and so whether you can warm up with a banded exercise to, to drive up the recruitment and then into your, your bigger lift that way. Yeah, nice. No, so you're getting that potentiation effect with the band before you go into your, into your mm-hmm. key lifts. That's a nice way of doing it, for sure. Uh, Nick, super interesting uh, topic, and I look forward to um, having those guys from Body Synergy Mm. on the uh, podcast and having a little bit more of a talk about it and hopefully trying it out myself. Um, Anything else to add around that? Uh, No. That might might be enough geeking out on strength training for one day. Brilliant. All right, team, so next uh, little segment I want to talk about here is winter training because it is winter, and winter is can be a really hard time for some people. It's often one of those times where you've put in so much work over the summer and you think, this is the year. This is the year that I'm just going to keep going through winter. I'm going to come out the other side, and I'm just going to build on top of whatever I did last year. And then you get about halfway through winter and the wheels start to fall off, starts to get really dark and cold and wet. And rather than a calculated approach, you just go for the ah, stuff it approach. I'll, I'll, I'll get back, at, back into the swing of things in springtime because I'm done with training at the moment. And it's a all too common sort of theme that I always see with winter training. So what I wanted to do is just talk around some things uh, for winter training, what we're trying to achieve and how we can go about achieving that in a slightly smarter way than maybe we've done in the past. And a lot of this comes from the winter multi-sport base training plan that I have um, over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash winter. So we're going to sort of talk around uh, multi-sport in terms of covering all three disciplines. However, this can be applied to single-discipline sports as well. So winter, it's here. First thing I think we should do is sit down and sort of have a little bit of a review of our previous season, assess those strengths and those weaknesses, and where could we make up some time or make up improve our performance the most. And once you've done that, and this is assuming that we've had a bit of an off-season already, I'd expect that most athletes have had their off-season, which is a period of no training or minimal training after their key event, and now they're working at getting back into into their training. So once you've done that and you've assessed those strengths and weaknesses, it can be a really good time over winter to do some focused training blocks. So if you've noticed that you're running, 
could be improved a little bit or your cycling or your kayaking or your swimming if you're a triathlete putting some specific emphasis on one of those disciplines so rather than being a multi-sport athlete over winter focus on becoming a runner or becoming a, a biker or a kayaker or a swimmer and putting more emphasis on one discipline that way you're able to scale back the other disciplines and have a maintenance training load and then put a little bit more time and effort into those ones that you uh, need to work on so that as you come out of winter, you can sort of access that newfound level of performance within that one discipline. The other disciplines will come up because they're your stronger ones, but you've made gains on that on that weaker one there. And so a really good way to do that is pick some specific singular discipline events to focus on. So if you're going to do a running block over winter, which can be a really good one to do because a lot of people struggle with their running. And if you focus on becoming a runner over winter, lining up a couple of maybe half marathons or off-road races to, to work towards, it can be really good because you've got, when you're running, you usually stay a lot warmer than the other disciplines. So it helps you get through winter that way. It works on your weakness uh, and you come out of it fitter at the other end. Same thing can go for biking. If, you, if you're weak on the bike, then winter can be a really good time to put in a big block of focused indoor training. So crack out the indoor trainer, uh, get your Zwift on, put a lot of time in on the bike. On the weekends where you can get out in the middle of the day when it's a bit warmer, you can put in some more time then. But just structuring things around that weaker discipline that you've got can be a really good idea. Winter is also a great time to focus on those areas that are often neglected by endurance athletes. Now, I don't want to stereotype anyone out there. However, endurance athletes are chronic for neglecting strength training and technique work in my experience they usually have no problem doing long sessions and strength-based hill work out there on the bike and running and they love that the longer the harder the better however when it comes to strength work and technique work it often gets pushed to the side uh, in favor for those harder longer suffer fests so w winter can be a great time to target your strength training to build that injury resilience as we sort of talked about uh, already in this podcast and then also working on your technique building your technique foundation and this you know comes in the form of specific technique drills when you come to running come to riding and then also for your paddling and for your swimming um as, as well over winter can be a great time to use those because when you're training your technique, you're training what we call our neuromuscular system. The signals that are coming from the brain down to the muscles to fire them in the correct sequence, kind of what Nick was talking about with that uh, EMG stuff before. We want to get the muscles firing in the right sequence to propel us forward when we're running, biking, kayaking. With the neuromuscular system, it fatigues really quickly. Because we're training new pathways and we're firing muscles that potentially don't like being fired in that sequence or stronger ones trying to dominate them, as in Nick's example with the EMG, there's so much crossover today, Nick. It's unbelievable. Um, 
because they your neuromuscular system fatigues really quickly because it's not conditioned for these new movement patterns that we're trying to train, you don't actually have to invest a huge amount of time into it. But the improvements that you get in your efficiency uh, far outweigh the sort of time invested into it. So it's a great way of doing shorter, more focused sessions during the winter when you don't want to spend a heap of time outside, but you get really good bang for your buck. So if we think back to that strength training, getting into the gym over this, this phase, uh, it's a really good time to get into the gym because if you're not used to strength work, you will probably end up sore for your first couple of weeks of strength work because your body's just adapting to it and you get a bit of muscle damage. However, muscle damage during winter doesn't matter too much because that soreness isn't going to have a huge negative impact on our training because our training is going to be largely low intensity anyway. Uh, have a listen to episode 66 where we talk about how to approach your first gym session so that you don't crawl out of there crippled uh, through muscle soreness. So episode 66 to have a, have a listen to that. Um, couple more things for winter is that I like to focus on shorter, more consistent sessions rather than fewer, longer sessions as well. So we're outside for, for shorter periods of time or, or indoors, but this just helps with that mental freshness. If you're outside in the rain and the cold for a three-hour session, it can be quite demoralizing, uh, especially if it's your ninth three-hour wet cold session in the last three weeks. But if you're outside for, say, 30 to 45 minutes, working on some technique drills, and then your next session you know that you're indoors in the gym, mentally it can be a lot easier uh, to get through that. We really want to avoid any burnout or mental staleness in the middle of winter because when we haven't even got to that time period where our training's most important. And the final thing um, is to mix it up. Uh, if you've been riding your road bike a lot, get rid of your road bike because a road bike can get quite cold. Higher speeds, um, the wind chill taken into account there. Trade it in for the mountain bike or the gravel bike and go and you know, ride some, some trails, tends to happen at a lower speed, you stay a little bit warmer, um, you're expecting to get a little bit of, a little bit of mud, a little bit of uh, spray off the road, so you, you dress accordingly. Um, likewise, take up some snow sports as well, skiing, snowboarding, great time obviously to do that, and not only do, do those sports help with breaking up your movement patterns, strengthening muscles that might not have been used in that way for quite a while, but also a much-needed psychological and mental freshness break. So I highly encourage any athletes that I'm working with, if they do enjoy uh, the snow sports, is to, to make the most of them. But the, the overall aim, what we're trying to achieve, is to head into spring and then, then summer physically and psychologically fresh, strong, efficient because we've addressed our neuromuscular um, technique sort of foundation and overall healthy so that you can put in a good spring training block. And that's what the winter multi-sport base, base training plan that's over at the Exponential Performance uh, website is all focused on is getting multi-sport athletes into that springtime through the winter uh, in, in good shape, ready to go. Nick, winter training. 
What do you reckon? Uh, two things. I've got one question <clears throat> question for you before I go on, though. Mm. Talking winter training versus base training. Um, and obviously, winter training is a term that works if you're training for something in summertime. If you're yes. training for something early spring. Yes. How, how would you slightly differ some of that? Absolutely. So uh, winter, to, I guess winter is kind of synonymous with base training in, in a lot of respects. And everyone sort of is well aware that base training needs to be kind of long and slow to develop your, you know, the aerobic base to, to some degree. Uh, and that's obviously not the only way to develop your aerobic base. However, if you were training for something in springtime, there would be a little bit more urgency, obviously, to get uh, revamped and refreshed a little quicker so that you are going to have to train through that later part of winter. Absolutely. For most multi-sport athletes, uh, thinking with the the coast-to-coast in mind, which is in February, then it is really much that winter training is, is our base training as well. However, we are going to come out into springtime with a, a, a longer time to be able to build up for that. So it's a little bit different, I guess, uh, than if you were tackling something in springtime. If you are tackling something in springtime, everything just moves back a little bit. Yeah. I think it's getting, getting trickier and trickier, and especially in New Zealand. I assume it's the same around the world. But, you know, a lot of the, the marathons and, and running events happen sort of late winter early spring mm, absolutely um, some of those bigger mountain bike events are happening early spring as well and then there's something else happening late summer so that oh. kind of you know season of winter build up through summer and spring and yep. race of the late summers is kind of going quite quickly a hundred percent so so just thinking if that is you if that is you that you need to uh you know be training pretty hard in in winter i think the biggest thing you can do is get some good gear like some a good jacket, good gloves, good tights, hat to keep you warm, and then indoor training alternatives are, are crucial as well. Eh? Zwift's been a game changer for so many mm. people. Yeah, it has and get some good training groups and training buddies. It's mm. always easier, you know, if it's bucketing down to go outside with somebody else because someone else is going through it with you. Um, so it's big, big ups, big, big upside to winter training is with, with friends. Absolutely, and I. And, and winter training as well can be super, super fun, eh? And that once you get over that, that hurdle of the weather and you get out of your door, which is often the hardest part of winter training, is getting out of the door, getting over that doorstep, um, then it's, it's a lot of fun. You get wet, you get muddy, but it's a lot of fun. And I think the uh, the cycle, like cyclocross is such a good example of that. Mm. It would be... I remember when oh, we were in Dunedin together, obviously, and um, it would be pouring down on a Sunday afternoon at like 4 o'clock, and all you wanted to do is put the fire on or stay by the fire because it had been going all day and not go anywhere. But once you got out and you got going at the you know cyclocross race, it was the best fun ever. Yeah. Yeah, first one of them this weekend, actually. So oh, really? It's, it's very timely. Looking forward to it's it. It's on. Um, one other thing I was just going to add in terms of the the, the options for winter is it's a perfect time mm. to or for athletes to be looking to lose any body weight that they're looking to, to lose yeah, for spring nice. summertime racing uh, you know you want to be hitting like you said your springtime kind of build phases at your roughly ideal race weight 
Um, when you're doing your big volume training, you don't want to be trying to lose weight because you're going to be smashed. Um, you're going to, you know, you're not going to recover properly, and you're going to be lacking energy if you're trying to cut back on calories while your training volume is ramping up. Um, so spend that, you know, eight to twelve, sixteen weeks, whatever it is, through your winter sort of off-season time um, to get on top of your nutrition, get your weight down if you if you do need to, get your weight up if you need to as well, depending on mm-hmm. where you're sitting. Um, put on that muscle mass in the gym, like you said, because again, once you start your big volume training, it's going to be harder to put on muscle mass through resistance training. Um, so perfect opportunity to work on, on body comp and weight. Yeah, fantastic point. Uh, so if there are any multi-sporters out there that have got the coast-to-coast in mind uh, and aren't really too sure how to integrate all of their all the different facets of their training into their program over winter, get over to exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash MSWinter and you can have a look at the winter the multi-sport winter base training plan over there. Um, and that leads really nicely into the coast-to-coast training plans that we also have up over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com. So these set a really good foundation over winter to then launch into those programs in springtime. Nick, anything else on winter training? No, I think... I think you, you nailed it towards the end. They just enjoy it, find some some fun events, little local cyclocross races, cross country running mm. races. You know, there's plenty of winter kind of multi sport or uh, kayak races. Sorry, um, yep. going on orienteering races or road mm. games. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's plenty. Yeah. You know, join a social netball team or play some squash. Get out there and do something slightly different just to keep the body ticking. Um, mm. That can freshen up your mind. So yeah, come come build time, come springtime, whenever that may be, you're fired up, ready to go. Bloody ease yourself into those uh, high-intensity court sports, though, <laughs> because the old endurance bodies aren't usually uh, right. very well adapted to them, and we don't want to hear of any people blowing out their Achilles or their knees uh, on the netball courts, please. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> awesome, team. That's all we've got for you this week. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to get your hands on one of these T-shirts Nick is wearing, Harden Up T-shirt or hat that I've got here, Harden Up Inc., or any of our other merch, you can check it over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash shop. And we've got everything over there for uh, some gear to give you constant daily reminders about uh how you can be better and push yourself a little bit further. But until next episode, get out there and train hard, but most importantly, train smart. We'll talk to you later.